You're listening to a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. To speak hope over us and to remind us to keep our eyes upon him and to take our hope firmly rooted in him. I do not know whatever circumstances you are facing, but if you are going through or have gone through something that has caused you to drop your head down, it's caused you pain, it's caused you despair, it's caused you disappointment, it's put you in a hole, you are a candidate for hope. And if you want to experience the hope of God, it's not that you have to earn it, it's something that he invites us to choose, but also to set our eyes on one that's not going to disappoint us. Ultimately, hope is one of the main things that leads us into Advent, the Advent meaning the first coming of Christ, but there's also the hope of a, the second advent of Christ, his return. Uh, the word in the Old Testament and New Testament for hope has a connotation or the meaning of something waited for with confidence or a joyful and confident expectation of salvation or an expectation of good. When I was a kid, we used to listen to and then later on on the television, watch, anybody have the television in the 70s? We had the television. And we'd turn on the television and we'd watch uh, church before we went to church. And there was one, I think his name was, I think it was Oral Roberts. It was just something good's going to happen to you. Something good is going to happen to you. And I used to think, I'm nine. What can happen to a nine-year-old? But it's that, what he's actually saying is here's the definition of hope. It's the expecting something that you've been longing for, expecting something that's good. Uh, there's a proverb, Proverbs chapter 13. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but desire fulfilled is a tree of life. When you have been hoping for something and it does not happen, it makes, it takes you down into a hole. There are, you know, and there's levels of disappointment. The kind of disappointment that I'm going to talk about right now, it's not a big, it, it's not like a meaning of life thing unless you're a Giants fan. If you're a fan of the San Francisco Giants, and not a fan of the Los Angeles Dodgers, Sean Elliott. Um, I, there's a, the, the last couple of weeks have been really difficult as all the things that the Giants fans were hoping for. If you, if you don't know what's going on, just shake your heads. Like, oh, yeah. So, but anyway, the Dodgers have spent $35 billion, actually only about $1.2 billion on two players. And it's like, who doesn't want to play for them? I mean, I, I saw this afternoon that they signed Godzilla as well to back cleanup for them. It, it, it's, it's like disappointing. You've been waiting as a fan for so long. And that, that's one of those ones you can kind of laugh at or say, I don't relate to sports. Why is he talking about sports? Uh, there's other things that hit much closer to home. Uh, this last uh, Monday, my daughter Elise and I were in an accident. Yes. And one of the reasons I'm sitting down is because my back hurts. And I feel like I walk like a duck right now to avoid. You're going to see it now when I'm standing up. It's like, he does. Look at that. He walks. And it's, it's, there's this pain in my lower back. We got T-boned. And uh, we were going like 90 down Sutro. No, we were going 20 down Sutro. And I'm going with her to pick up uh, something that she's purchased on Facebook Marketplace. And as her dad, I'm not going to let her go by herself to Arby's to pick it up, whoever this you know, very dangerous septuagenarian woman is going to be, you know, dropping this in. And as we're going down Sutro, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but there's gates on Sutro that kind of open out towards Sutro, and there's an apartment complex. And this woman in a, in a 1990 Forerunner was launched out of a rocket ship out of there and just came, boom, and I swerved a little bit out of the way and saved my daughter's life. 
I did. I totally did. Thank you. I appreciate that. But the car doesn't look good. And so the question I've been asked over and over again, once they find out that I'm, are you okay? It's like, well, yeah, but I'm, you know, I've got, it's like they don't care. People don't care. But how's the car? Can they fix it? And I've been saying, I hope so. I hope they can. Have they done an estimate on it? Well, my initial, you know, time for an estimate, they said, we can get you in in March. And maybe we can schedule you in April and May. It's like, I don't feel hopeful when that, I get that kind of news. You, you're tracking with what I'm saying. I got an estimate. They want, you know, about two-thirds of the, they said they can fix it. And the other person's insurance, God willing, is going to cover that. And, but there's this idea of, I don't know, but I hope. And is my hope, it, it's in this guy who, when I'm in there, he's always in his shop. Um, I went there because I knew he would have space. But when he's doing his, in the morning, he's kind of watching, if there's, if there's a far righter version than Fox News, he's got that on. And he's every he'll he'll he's yelling at the TV and like having a conversation with the person who's talking, and I'm just want to get the estimate and be able to leave. And he starts asking my opinion on politics. It's like if I answer wrong, he's going to you know who knows what's going to happen. And so it's like man, they're they're loud, huh? It's like ultimately, can you fix my car? Yeah, we can fix it. My hope level in dealing with this guy is about a four. Because I know he's got signs on the wall that said he did good, but if he had not done good, he's not going to put those on his wall. You know what I'm saying? So there's that. When we're talking about hope when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to putting our faith in in Christ, we got to remember hope is not just a feeling that we have. It's much greater than a feeling. Hope is a choice that we make. If we think of it as a feeling, it's not going to just kind of bubble up inside of you. Unless you're a person like, you know, the old Disney movie about Pollyanna who always saw things through rose-colored glasses. My wife has tendencies towards hope rooted in I don't know what. And there's been times where some of our conflicts that we'd had were me trying to bring reality into the situation. Anybody, you are the, the bringer of realism into your marriage? Sometimes... It's not appreciated. Like 99.9% of the time, they don't want to hear it. Let me just save you. I'm 34 years in, still living, thank the Lord. Sometimes I wake up at night and she's over, standing over me looking at me and I'm thinking, is this good or is this bad? I don't know. Recognizing that in order to mitigate pain, I was choosing realism. I was choosing, well, let's, you know, glass half full, glass half empty. I'm not a pessimist. I'm just a realist. God wants to invite us to hope again. It's like, well, you don't know my life. It's like, no, but I know mine, and I know people, and there's nothing any of us face that is not common to humanity. Even the tragedies we face, unfortunately, are very common. They're a byproduct of a broken world that's filled with gross sand, people sinning against each other, people sinning against themselves, stuff that maybe you had nothing to do with that was done to you generations ago that your family's still dealing with. And so the idea of hoping again, it's like, I mean, come on now. Can't we just get this Christmas Eve service over and go home and just be done? I have to be reminded that we've got this painful thing. You know what I'm talking about? People start saying hope, and it's like, what do, can we just be done? I don't want to have to consider that. It hurts too much. Hope deferred makes a heart sick. I've had a lot of deferment. 
over and over in the Old Testament, Israel, God's chosen people, they were chosen not because they were special, but they were chosen because they weren't so special. They were just kind of a people group. And God said, I'm going to make myself famous through these people, and I'm going to save the world through these people. In the wisdom literature, in Job, in Psalms, in Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, in Song of Songs, these books, over and over, God's people are pointed to God as the source of hope, as the source of life, as the source of rescue, as the source of salvation. And in many of our lives, we may have experienced disappointment with God when he didn't act or didn't do something that we wanted him to do, or he didn't intervene. Anybody besides me, you've been disappointed with God? Okay, four of us? Okay. Probably more. We don't want to raise our hands in case he's paying attention to us. Is that what it is? We're, we're nervous. He's be like, he saw me, like he doesn't know already. He can handle our disappointment. This is why we see the Psalms addressing God the way that they do. David was not trying to think what would make God happy when he wrote, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, I'm a worm. My enemies are all over the place and they're trying to kill me and where are you? You know, and then he continues, but I know you're holy and I know you're good. I know you're going to work this out, but this is how I feel. God can handle your disappointment and he invites you to express that to him and work through it. When... Uh, Joni and I were parenting younger children, like in their under 10s. Um, I tried, you know, not very effectively, to parent my kids through control and force. It didn't work. And at some point, I, I realized what I was doing was their emotional outbursts were inconvenient for me. And I wanted them to stop, and I didn't care what it took to stop. And there was one particular time when Joni said, can we just let them feel? And it's like, why do they get to? And the, it, the implication is, and why don't I? Hmm. And so it's like, okay, you guys get to feel whatever you're going to feel. You can say whatever you want to say in this particular time, watch your mouth, type of a thing, and working with them. And they get all their stuff out, and they've cried it out, and everything's out. It's like, you got anything else? No, but if I think of anything, I'll throw it out there, okay? That's us at, with God. He invites us into a relationship with him where we can articulate to him. And sometimes we can't articulate it because it's too painful and it comes out in just a, ah. But he invites us to engage with him as our source of hope. And the only way we can do that is by confronting the disappointment that comes along with that. Not because he's disappointed with us, but because we don't see how things are supposed to work. I was disappointed several times praying, Lord, I think this is the person that uh, this is the person I'm supposed to work with. This is a job I'm supposed to have. This is, this is how this is supposed to work. And it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and it doesn't work, and I'm so qualified for this job, and I can't get this job. In 2010, when the fun, you know, downturn in the economy and, you know, Nevada lost like 90% of its residents, people moving anywhere to get away, uh, I'm looking for a job because there's no, the church is not able to pay me. And I applied for 30 different jobs. I, at the time, I, I've got a master's degree in strategic leadership. You know what that's worth? About $12,000 at the time through the school, but not much else. I didn't even get second interviews. And I was disappointed. It's like, I know I can work, I can deliver pizzas. And the guy said, you just don't fit our demographic. We need people who are a little bit more desperate. And it's like, what do you want me to do? Who do I, who do I need to take out? You know, I'll do it. I was Hustler of the Month, 1988, Domino's Pizza in Carson City. True story. I was good. I could have been a contender. I was, I was so good. But there was disappointment. God did not do what I wanted him to do. And it played over into different times in my life. I can remember, I'm never going to date again. I'm never going to date again. 
I'm never dating again because having experienced lies and brokenness in relationships. And I'm glad God didn't heal what I was praying for him to heal. I'm glad God didn't restore the things I was praying for him to restore because he had a plan that he wanted to bring later on. I didn't see that because my perspective was, this is what I want, this is what I need. And what he ended up showing me is, no, this is what you need. It works out pretty good for Louis in this. Not so good for Joni, but it's been pretty good for me. I'm thankful for grace. Over and over in Psalms, I'm going to just read a few of these verses where we get to see David rehearsing hope in God. Let's look at this. Psalm 42.11. Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 62.5-7. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Psalm 71, 5, and then 14 and 15. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, for my youth. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell you of your righteous acts and of your deeds of salvation all the day. Psalm 78. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our, for, our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God but keep his commandments. God himself, the God of the universe, our creator is the source of our hope. And He's a sure thing because of his name, because of his character, because of his integrity, because of his track record, because of his faithfulness. He will never leave us or forsake us is the thing that he repeats over and over and over again in Scripture. If you look for the word hope in Psalms alone, it's there at least 40 times, and it's related to putting our hope and trust in God. Another thing, God chose to put kernels of hope about salvation in the Old Testament prophets. In one particular section, very familiar one in Isaiah chapter 9 says this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of the, his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Good news. For to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hope for God's people is prophesied about Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, saying God will provide the ways and means for salvation, that the, the way that people could have a relationship with God before that was only through sacrifice. God was saying, I'm going to send a, my own son to come as the ultimate sacrifice to pay for your salvation. And this was something that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ at Bethlehem as the one who is the hope for God's people. 
It's especially interesting when we see the government will be upon his shoulders and there will be peace with no end on the throne of David. It will be established and will be upheld with justice forever. I think one of the things that stands out to me more now, maybe it's naivete has fallen away, but as a kid, I had a lot more hope in governments. I believed that nations were working for, their own, for the good of the people that they represented. I think now we see over and over again that the, the rulers of this world, the governments of this world, work for, work for themselves and work for darkness. And yet to see justice and peace, compassion and kindness established, that's one of the things that God is bringing and will bring as a part of this prophesied hope that he's talking about. There's a, another section where it begins to spread from, math into, uh, from the Jewish people to all humanity. And this is found in Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 through 21. The prophet Isaiah fulfilled in Jesus when it says, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Not only shall the Jewish people receive salvation and have a point of hope in Christ, but it says all humanity will have hope hope available through Jesus Christ. This characterization of Christ as not being one who is a uh, ruthless conqueror, but one who is full of kindness and compassion. The whole, a bruised reed he will not break, a, a dying wick he will not snuff out. We get to see that what he, how he desires to come alongside of us is in a way that is nurturing and caring for us. Uh, it's very similar to if you've ever seen, uh, as you've been driving around, you've seen a dog that's been hit by a car. Uh, my Spanish teacher, Mrs. Holly Walton Buchanan, was a, I, I treasure the time I had in her classes. She was just such a gem. I can remember one day when my mom had a conference with her. She was one of the teachers. I didn't have to worry what was going to happen in the conference because I did good in that class, and I did good with her. But I can remember Mrs. Buchanan showing up to the conference, and she's got blood on her, which is not usual. She usually didn't have blood on her clothes. And my mom, what happened? It's like there was a dog on the side of the road, and I just had to stop and help. And I don't remember what happened out of that. Most likely, dog versus car is bad. I've lost several, Bobo among others. You know, they, they, it, it didn't work out well. But to think there's a person who doesn't just go, oh, that's bad, and keep going. The people who stop. Jesus is the one who stops, comes alongside, and helps, binds up the wounds, brings healing, makes a preparation for a plan for the future, establishes hope in us. We see this in the Christmas story. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. I'm going to give you the sum up, of, sum up version of this. Joseph and Mary. Mary is not married to him yet. She's betrothed, but she discovers that she's pregnant. She's been prophesied by the angel Gabriel this is going to happen. Joseph was very bothered and upset that his wife was pregnant, and he figured the only way to really to go about this in a just manner is to divorce her quietly. It was Betrothal was more than being engaged but less than marriage. And you couldn't break it just by saying, give me back that ring. You had to actually say, no, this is, I'm, I'm breaking this author's divorce. And he was told by Gabriel the angel, do not do this. This child is from, is from the Lord. This is going to be good. So they're living in a place, probably Nazareth, if I'm not mistaken, and Caesar Augustus puts out a decree. I want to be able to tax everyone better, more effectively, so we want to make sure everybody gets back to your hometown to register. This is kind of a bummer, because there was a lot of people who were from Bethlehem, but they didn't live in Bethlehem anymore, because Bethlehem was not the kind of place you kind of were from. Some of you, 
have that. I know one of my favorite stories is when I'm talking with my friend Tim Meredith and he's talking about growing up in Lovelock and hearing the stories about Lovelock because he doesn't, he's not from there anymore. I, mean, I just imagine what it'd be like. It's like, Tim, you got to go back to Lovelock and kick it for a while until we get some things straightened out. And how many people who are from Lovelock would be there? And it's like, where are we going to stay? It's like the infrastructure of Lovelock will not support the people who are from Lovelock. And this is what's going on. Joseph and Mary go back to Bethlehem, and they're like checking with family everywhere. Can we stay with you? And everybody's like, the rooms are full. When it, over and over, the, the, the word in, like in, or like a hotel, in is translated as in when really it's a guest room that most Jewish homes would have had established. But everybody had people there in town. You may be experiencing that right now. Just put them in the garage with the animals. They'll be fine, people that are coming... It's in the Bible. I'm just I'm living biblically right now. So somebody says, you know what? There's no room in, in the spare room, but you can you can have like the bottom floor, the bottom floor where we keep the animals when it's cold. And so Jesus is born and he's wrapped up in burial clothes because those are cheap. Okay, people aren't trying to there was no designer, you know, clothes for him. And he's placed into a manger, which is where the sheep and the goats and the other animals eat. I can only imagine that they see the baby in there and it's like, this is not what we're used to. This baby being placed into the manger. And Mary and Joseph, they've got the promise of Jesus on them, and they've been told this is going to be the Messiah. And that's a wonderful thing when it's, you know, down the road and you think about the salvation, but now he's a crying baby in the manger, and this is the savior of the world. You know. Joseph, please change the Savior of the world's diaper today. Please do that. It was real, and they're hoping for something that's not there yet, and there's not even really a glimmer of it because it's really hard to think a baby can do anything because they're fairly bad friends, okay? They don't do much. We love them, but we have to love them because they're, they're just not good roommates. You know, all that, I could go down that road. The shepherds are outside of Bethlehem. And they have, it's most likely lambing season, so probably in the spring. And they're just kind of out there. We've talked about how often the shepherds are the ones who are, uh, they get the job because they're not essential people. They're usually really old or they're really young. Think about King David, the shepherd. He was the shepherd. He was the youngest of seven brothers, and he just just leave him to do it. So they're out there. It's quiet, middle of the night, and all of a sudden there's an angel that shows up, and he says, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all people, for to you this day is born in the city of David, Savior, Christ the Lord. He's wrapped in burial clothes and is lying in a manger in Bethlehem. And then all of a sudden there's a multitude of angels, and I can only imagine these shepherds as they're looking, as their jaw continues to drop lower and lower and lower, as these angels begin to cry out, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. And then they're gone. And the shepherds are like, did that just really happen? It's like, yeah, it happened. It's like, what do you guys want to do? It's like, let's go into Bethlehem and see if we can find this kid. And they go into Bethlehem and they find Mary and Joseph. They say, we just saw the angels. And they declared this. And then Mary and Joseph both could have said, I saw that dude. He came to us and told us what's going to happen. It's like, yeah, he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be great. He's good news for everybody. Okay, we're going to go back and watch the sheep. And they did. And that's the, the Christmas story. But it's also not because we've been told this is Christ. He's the source of hope. He's the one who is coming. It's been verified. It's been multiple confirmed witnesses. Mary treasures all this in her heart. And then everything goes silent for 12 years. And then from there, it goes silent for another 18. This is the hope. Hope, dragged out over a long period of time, gets 
it's like, to, to steal a line from J.R. Tolkien, it's like too little butter spread over too much bread. Not much left. More butter is better. Hashtag more butter better. That's good. Take that. With all this, what are you doing with this message of hope? In Romans chapter 8, we see uh, a scripture that says hope that is seen is not hope. I'll be hopeful when there's something to be hopeful for. No, that's not hope. You're looking for evidence of something, and there's a direct tie between hoping for something that we don't yet see and faith. It's remarkable. Hebrews chapter 11 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because in order to please God, you have to come to him. You have to believe he exists and and believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Hope goes first. Faith goes first. The evidence follows it. And it may be what you're looking for is the evidence of hope before you start risking again. And God says, no, I want you to hope. Put your hope in me. Don't put your hope in yourself and your own abilities. If you haven't disappointed yourself, you're going to. Put your hope in, well, if I was in this right relationship or if I had this thing or if this, in this job or if, if this hadn't happened to me, then I could hope. If you can't hope where you are right now, you wouldn't hope in the other circumstance. Hope now. What are you hoping for? Over the last week, I've talked to several friends, some hillsiders, many who are not. People hoping for healing, experiencing sickness in the family, hoping for transformed relationships, Looking at Christmas as a time when, what did I do inviting my friends and family to come over? And we giggle, but we also think this could end so bloody and terrible. I'm hoping that we survive. Talking about people who have really dug their feet in, like, I don't want anything to do with God. They're hoping for salvation for their family. They're hoping for peace. Looking at the conflicts in our world, in Israel, in Ukraine many other places that don't nearly get the publicity praying for peace about that people who have been dealing with miscarriages who have lost babies all sorts of stuff God invites us year round but I think especially at Christmas to hope again to allow him to move us past despair and past disappointment past disillusionment to allow not something good's going to happen just somehow some way but in the truth and hope and life that is Christ I'm going to put my hope into him and to lean into him I want to bless you may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit and may Jesus bless you and keep you May Jesus make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Jesus turn his face towards you and give you peace. This has been a podcast presentation of Hillside Foursquare Church in Reno, Nevada. You can reach us via email at web at hillside4.org. That's W-E-B at hillside, the number 4, dot org.